Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. Jesus says, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Over the last several weeks, we have explored the scriptures where Jesus says that the disciples are like slaves, that those who lose their life will find it, that Gentiles are dogs, that we ought not worry, and that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. We've examined these scriptures and examined our own lives. We've had to ask ourselves some very difficult questions. Is serving God reward enough? What do I think is giving me life that is actually causing me to lose it? How have I tried to limit the grace of God? Where do I see the kingdom of God around me? What matters most, and what do I need to surrender? How dare I act as though I have been wronged too much to forgive? Jesus often said things that can be difficult to understand. Today is the last sermon in our series, Why Did You Say That, Jesus? Some of you may hear me say that today is the last sermon in this series and breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, phew. Maybe this series has really challenged you to think of certain scriptures in a new way. Maybe this series made you more than a little uncomfortable. I hope and pray that it has. In our scripture for today, What Jesus said may not be as scathing or shocking, but the imperative can be just as difficult for us to live out. 
In our scripture for today, Jesus is not addressing a crowd or the 12 disciples or even an individual. No one is asking Jesus for wisdom or trying to trap him in a legalistic question. These words come from a prayer. Jesus' final prayer before his crucifixion. A prayer for his disciples to have unity in a hostile world. At the moment of his hour, Jesus entrusts the future of the community to God. His prayer highlights the unity of the Father, the Son, and the believing community. It reminds us that the words and work of believers should be shaped by Jesus' life and death and resurrection. As the one God sent, Jesus prays for those he now sends into the world. The relationship of the Father and Son shapes the relationships of believers to one another and to God and Jesus. By including this prayer, these last words before his execution, John highlights what mattered most to Jesus. I suspect that as the disciples gathered for what would be their final meal with Jesus, they didn't feel unified. I bet they felt frightened, uncertain, insecure, scrappy, and squabbling. Peter was bad-tempered, Judas was plotting, and James and John were probably still jockeying for promotions. Did any of that change after Jesus left? Probably not. Having been in several churches over the years and looking at the divisions in the body of Christ today, it's clear to me that Jesus' prayer for unity remains unanswered. Division hurts the church as a whole, it hurts individual Christians, and it hurts those who do not even claim the name Christian. When the church can't agree on interpretations of Scripture, or on the best practices for living out our faith, we tend to start judging other Christians or even entire denominations based on whether their views align with ours. And when any message from a Christian discounts people, even other Christians, because of age or gender, orientation or economic status, education level or any other factor, That sends the message that God's love is exclusive. It says the gospel is not for all of creation, but only those who claim a certain status or hold a certain worldview. Praise God, this is not true. We are all made in the image of God. We are all loved by God. God desires a personal relationship with each and every one of us. As someone once said, you will never look into the eyes of someone God does not love. Yet some folks still receive the message that they are excluded instead of beloved. When folks receive the message that they are excluded instead of beloved, they feel shunned and unworthy of the love God has for them. They're less likely to pursue God less likely to want to spend time with those who claim to represent God. Our United Methodist Constitution even states, 
The church of Jesus Christ exists in and for the world, and its very dividedness is a hindrance to its mission in that world. Division in the church also hurts God. God's will will always be achieved, ultimately. But God wants us to take part in making it happen. Our resistance and intolerance of one another does not work to accomplish the will of God. As 1 Corinthians says, we are one body made up of many parts. Not every part, not every Christian will agree with every other Christian on everything. But we still must work together to function most effectively as the body of Christ. God created us to live in a world with peace and harmony. Then sin distorted that environment. And in our continued sin, we hurt each other. We ignore each other. We mock each other. When we should be working alongside God to share grace and love, to witness to the new creation God wants us to be part of. The beauty of this prayer for unity is that it is not only for those Jesus walked and talked with. It's a prayer for every believer throughout time and space. Every generation of believers can read these verses with the assurance that Jesus is praying on their behalf. In fact, all distinctions between the first believers and every generation thereafter is here erased. There are only believers. This, then, is also a prayer of Jesus for us. It's as though we were in Jesus' congregation overhearing his pastoral prayer for us. In his last moments, Jesus prayed that his followers would have unity. Our Savior longed for all of his disciples, from the twelve to those of us who follow him today, to believe in him and love one another and work together to spread the gospel. So why is it so hard for the church to be unified? At the root of it, I think we do not understand what the other side, whatever that side is, whatever the situation or issue we find ourselves in opposition over, whatever the, uh, we don't understand where the other side is coming from. We each respond to the world based on our own personal background, on our influences, the challenges we have suffered from, and the dreams we still long for. When others don't have this understanding of who we are, they judge us. When we do not have this complete understanding of who others are, we judge them. And in addition to the ways we judge each other, in a world with so much trauma and tragedy, we can become numb to one another's pain. You all know how that feels, right? I feel it sometimes. Um, maybe it's just me, but maybe you feel it too. We can become desensitized to the cries of our neighbors. We become so familiar with pain that it rolls off of us like water. But thanks be to God that our God is always moved to tears at the injustices in this world. And this God made our souls to stir, made us to weep with those who weep, 
This God can lead us into a solidarity where we pause and bear witness to suffering, where we feel the pain without being consumed by it. We lament. We operate with empathy and understanding. We rest and allow others to do so. With God's help, we remember that our work for peace and justice is shared among a collective. We are not alone. How can we strive to be a church that possesses the unity Christ desires for us when we seem so easily divided? This can only be done by the grace of God. God pours out manna so that we may still flourish in hard times. Jesus prayed for us in his final prayer before his crucifixion, and the Holy Spirit accompanies us now. God works in our lives before we are even aware of it, and that same grace continues to strengthen us and provide us with ways to do God's good and holy work. When we work alongside the grace of God, we are freed and empowered to seek justice and mercy in our communities, to demonstrate Christ's humility as servants to all, and spread the gospel without apprehension, anxiety, or ulterior motives of pride. We must pray and work for the unity Christ longs for his disciples to have. It will not be easy work. It will take time. It will require us setting down our pride and our shame, lamenting and asking God and one another for forgiveness for the times we have been numb to each other's pain. This unity will require a desire to love God and one another more than we love the categories we so often put people into. It will require getting to know each other in a deep and meaningful way through learning each other's stories and hurts and dreams, all those things that go into making us who we are. With God's help, we can mend our broken spirits and unify to show the world the love and hope that a life in Christ offers. Finding this common ground we need to unify might feel daunting, if I'm honest, at times it can feel hopeless. And if it were simple or easy, the church wouldn't still be trying to figure it out. But God calls us to do things that are difficult. Things we'd rather put off or things we see no point in doing. Why should the church strive for unity? Jesus offers us a few good reasons. In verse 21, Jesus prays that we may all be one as Jesus and the Father are one. This is our first reason. The church is to imitate God, who is unified as three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are missing something when we are without each other. Community is essential to our well-being, and it helps, I think, to understand that the unity Jesus is praying for is not based on who we are. It's based on who God is. 
Later in the same verse, Jesus gives a second reason for our unity, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When our lives are changed by the gospel, others can tell there is something different about us. That something is Jesus. The gospel at its core is a story of generosity, where Jesus gave up everything out of his love for us. His life, death, and resurrection transform us so that we value humility, weakness, and service as God does. The world sees that Jesus has saved us and changed us for the better and comes to believe in him also. Finally, at the end of our passage, Jesus prays that we would have unity so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Jesus wants love to travel from God the Father to himself, to us, out to the rest of the world. Love that denies itself and seeks the well-being of others. One of John Wesley's purposes for the life groups of his day was to watch over one another in love. When the same love that was in Jesus is in us, we encourage each other, help each other, build each other up, and enjoy rich relationships based on mutual affection and service for one another. I mentioned that one of the reasons I think we're so divided is because of our suffering. Suffering makes us come apart. But meeting each other in suffering brings intimacy and connection. We are no longer suffering alone. And again, this unity is not just for the sake of the church. The Christian community is the focus of this text. But ultimately, its theology is more inclusive than that. When we run with it, we find that it opens up possibilities for all of humanity and all of creation. God's love is so inclusive and all-encompassing, no one is left out. When God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, no one is lonely or anxious or depressed. Families are not separated by an ocean in hopes of survival. There are no earthquakes or fires or hurricanes throwing creation into chaos. No one is hungry or thirsty. Every need is met. Jesus' prayer reminds us that our unity, our oneness, is to be a sign to the world of God's love for all. Oneness and unity is about love. And if you have been part of a family, a member of a church, or a member of a community, you know that within that love, there can be disagreements and squabbling. Unity does not necessarily mean agreeing on everything. It's a sign of our health that this particular church body can disagree on things and still get along so well. Praise God. Conflict within churches is not only to be expected, it's also something we can be grateful for. It's in our differences, our struggles, our hurts, that we encounter and receive God's grace and gift most completely. It is then that we are able to see Christ in our neighbor, 
It is then that we are able to be loved in spite of ourselves. It is then we know most deeply our own need for God. Churches are made up of humans, and humans will disagree. However, we are called to love one another despite our differences. And because of our differences, diversity in the church helps us to see different perspectives of God in new ways. We can't let these differences get in the way of the gospel. This world is hostile enough. We don't need to find hostility and disunity in this place, too. In fact, we ought to be finding something very different here. The church has something the world needs, and we get to take the love of Jesus back out those doors. Our community's oneness serves as a witness to the love of God. May we join in Jesus' prayer for a unified church until that day comes. May we pray not only with our words, but with our lives. Let us pray. Lord, may your church be one as you and the Son and the Spirit are one so that the world may know that you sent Jesus, so that the world may know you love us even as you loved him, so that the love with which you loved Jesus may be in us also. Amen.